The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
Oh, I'm Mike now. Thank you. Okay. Um, good evening, everyone. I'd like to call this meeting to order. Um, if you are able, please rise for a moment of silence, followed by the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Could our clerk please call the roll of counsel? Councilmember Hayner? Here. Councilmember Dish? Here. Councilmember Griswold? Here. Councilmember Song? Here. Councilmember Grand? Here. Councilmember Radina? Absent. Mayor Taylor? Absent. Councilmember Iyer? Absent. Councilmember Nelson? Here. Councilmember Briggs? Absent. Councilmember Ramlawi? Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, could I please have a motion to approve the agenda? Moved by Councilmember Griswold, seconded by Councilmember Song. Any discussion of the agenda? All those in favor? Okay, agenda is approved. Do we have any communications from our city administrator this evening? No, we don't. Thank you. Um, and we have one introduction, um, which is our monthly update from our Independent Community Police Oversight Commission. And is Dr. Jackson ready to go? Councilmember Grand, I've moved her over to present on Zoom. Wonderful. All right, Doc, Dr. Jackson, we are all yours. Good evening, Councilmember Grand and City Council. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lisa Jackson, and I'm the chair of Ann Arbor's Independent Community Police Oversight Commission. I've spoken to this body in the past about the importance of names and about the importance of saying them, about the importance of remembering them about the importance of knowing them while the people to whom they belong are still alive. When we first started having these conversations about names in Ann Arbor, they were in the context of people we've had to mourn too early, people like Ora Rosser, who was killed here in Ann Arbor in 2014, but also George Floyd, Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor. We say these names to remind ourselves that it's far too early to be satisfied with the progress that our country has made. The next names we spoke about were those belonging to police officers. And until about a year ago, no one outside of AAPD, not even our commission, was able to identify which officers were having complaints filed against them. That meant that if we received 50 complaints about police conduct, we had no way of knowing whether that was 50 individual police officers that had one complaint filed against them or whether that was one officer who had 50 complaints filed against them. Fortunately, though, our commission is now able to identify which officers are having complaints filed against them. And we have a much better understanding of when we're dealing with problematic officers or problematic AAPD policies. We remember these names because real accountability requires transparency. More recently, I've spoken here about the importance of knowing the names of complainants who file complaints directly with the Ann Arbor Police Department. 
And when AAPD would share those complaints with our commission, they chose to obscure those names such that we could not reach out to the complainant to follow up with them. This has been a problem because it's meant that complaints had no way of knowing whether anyone other than AAPD reviewed their complaint, nor have they been able to disclose any information to us that they didn't feel comfortable disclosing to the police. Because people who've had interactions with the police are more likely to have another in the future, it's crucial that we have these conversations before a situation escalates. Tonight, we'd like to thank City Administrator Dahoney for his confirmation that we will begin receiving those names in the next few weeks, as well as for his broader work towards transparency in the city. We'd also like to thank U of M Civil Rights Litigation Initiative for their research and advocacy efforts, without which this wouldn't have been possible. We can now know those names before they become another in a long line of tragedies we failed to pre prevent. I'd like to end my remarks this evening with something not directly related to police oversight, but that I would ask each of you on council and those of you listening in the community to reflect on. We're all here tonight because we believe we can contribute to something greater than ourselves by making our own voices heard and by amplifying, amplifying the voices of those in our communities. This democratic impulse is of course not without cost. When disagreements arise, it can feel like what's coming to contention is not merely our ideas, but also the legitimacy of ourselves and those we represent. That the discourse surrounding our work sometimes gives way to words meant to debase our opponents rather than prove the merit of our own ideas is no surprise. But the recent leak of the Supreme Court draft decision that will have implications on the reproductive freedom of women across our country should serve as a stark reminder that the freedoms we enjoy in this community cannot be taken for granted. When we fail to take decisive action to ensure a safer, more sustainable, and more equitable future for the generations that follow, we contribute to a path that can be irrevocably changed by the whims of political opportunists. When we reflect tomorrow, next week, next year, and again 10 years from now, I hope that we can all say we weren't too distracted by interpersonal drama to undertake the work that truly mattered. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Okay, we now come to public comment reserve time. Public comment reserve time is an opportunity for members of the public to speak on a matter that's on our agenda this evening. Uh, speakers have three minutes in which to speak and they're not permitted to grant their time to an alternative speaker. If you need any accommodations, we are pleased to provide them to you. And if you are calling in, a reminder to please press star nine to raise your hand and star six to unmute yourself. Our first speaker is Elizabeth Hunter. Is Elizabeth Hunter available? Thank you, Lisa Jackson, for being the best possible police oversight leader we could have. The importance of law enforcement transparency cannot be overstated. True, democ true democracy cannot exist without government transparency. I fully support Teacher Barton's efforts <clears throat> to have city police policies put online as soon as possible. And kudos to the Michigan State Police for putting their policies on their website, almost all of them. On the topic of transparency, it's unfortunate that information, which is in the right of the public to know, 
which is, yeah, whatever, must be foiled, and even then it can arrive heavily redacted by those in power. Ward 1 Councilmember Lisa Dish sort of gave it away when she stated, we have to be tricky. How sad that that mentality even exists where officials need to be tricky to keep secrets from the public. And just one other thing, in the light of yet another white officer killing a black citizen in Grand Rapids, let Ann Arbor never forget one of our white officers killed a black person here. After that completely unnecessary murder, this officer was elevated to a higher position in the APD and given a pay raise. Under Mayor Christopher Taylor, justice has not been served. Mayor Taylor, I'm asking you to do what civil rights activists have demanded time and time again, apologize to the family of Ora Rosser, pay her funeral costs, and pay financial restitution to her three motherless children. When activists confronted you, Mayor Taylor, here in this room, your response was to remodel at taxpayers' expense and place a physical barrier and more distance between you and the public. This, uh, this is actually a fitting analogy for the city government which you have created. As for the activists, think of the many other ways you could have responded. Welcoming the activists to the meeting, listening to them, setting an alternate meeting time with them, reaching out to them after the meeting, and so on. But you turned your back on them, and then you disappeared. The killing of Ora Rosser has passed, but the pain is the same. The pain is the same for her family, friends, and the greater Ann Arbor community. It's not too late to make much needed amends. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Brian Chambers. Thank you. City Council has done much to foster more housing development in the city. My understanding is that short of the affordable housing developments, these will be predominantly rentals exposed to market rates. As we know, rents will continue to increase and therefore home ownership itself should be an additional priority for the city housing policy. Last summer, as I considered the upcoming comprehensive land use update and the likelihood of more provisions for increased housing, I reflected on the potential for further displacement of Ann Arbor residents priced out of the Ann Arbor housing market. It is common knowledge that spiraling housing costs have not only pushed middle-income Ann Arborites out, but have further exacerbated housing costs in the surrounding areas, furthering economic segregation. Affordable housing leaders remind me that this has been the area trend for more than 40 years. Yet more housing overall is a critical need. The limited supply on the market, in major part, drives the escalating price of housing in Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor zoning standards are predominantly based on single-family exclusionary zoning. Over 70% of the parcels in Ann Arbor are zoned single-family, with only 20% zoned multi-unit. In such a constrained market, prices are naturally going to increase. This is basic economics. In addition, greater housing density, so that people can reduce car travel for employment and essential services with walkability and mass transit, also addresses Ann Arbor's A20 goals. Increased housing density is clearly a necessary policy agenda for Ann Arbor. Interest rates and tighter lending standards, however, also drive the cost of home ownership, as middle-income households are more limited in their ability to save for a down payment and cover closing costs. 
Potential tax increases for AAATA and Ann Arbor's climate millage, let alone the recent Ann Arbor schools and affordable housing millages, are all addressing valid, necessary public investments. With increasing housing costs and property taxes, how is it even realistic to advance policies to address economic segregation in the Ann Arbor area, I asked myself. So I analyzed US Census and Bureau of Labor Statistics data for Ann Arbor and the surrounding area. You have all read my findings. Lower middle income households have a significantly reduced portion of home ownership in Ann Arbor over the past 10 years, 30% less. Low income households has also had a marked reduction in the portion of renters in Ann Arbor. The, the known trend for Ann Arbor is clearly measured in the data. Further analysis revealed that the occupational groups most affected in these low and moderate income ranges are overrepresented by women, African Americans, and those of Hispanic ethnicity. This led me to consider options for mortgages for low and moderate income households. I believe it is appropriate city policy for Ann Arbor to provide city employees and residents information on these mortgage options. To counter the 40-year trend, this information needs to be provided on a regular basis in advance of and throughout the annual housing market for many years. Thank you for accepting this resolution for consideration, and I look forward to your positive decision. Thank you. Our next speaker is Teacher Barton. Hello, my name is Teacher Barton and I currently live in Ward 4. I'm a tax-paying property owner, native son of Ann Arbor. I'm an Eagle Scout Award, retired Peace Corps volunteer, a former Red Cross instructor, a former big, the Big Brothers Big Sisters program, an active member in wildlife rescue, a youth mentor, and a volunteer for various other community and nonprofit organizations. I believe the policies and procedures of law enforcement are there to protect officers as well as citizens. I also believe that with reasonable exceptions, these policies can only be effective if they are publicly accessible information. Over a year ago, I FOIA requested the release of the Ann Arbor Police Department's policies and procedures with reasonable exceptions for publicly accessible viewing. The Ann Arbor Police Department denied my request. I appealed this denial and the city of Ann Arbor agreed that there are police policies of law enforcement that can only be effective if citizens have access to them. They released as public documents 39 out of the 42 policies I specifically listed in my appeal. <clears throat> Since then, I've been trying to get the Ann Arbor Police Department to post those public policies on their website. Here's the problem. The Ann Arbor Police state they need to review any policies before it's posted on their website, but policies like 001-010, which were reviewed and released on 4-9-2021, are not posted. If it takes more than a year to post a policy because it needs to be reviewed and every year policies need to be re-reviewed, then policies will never actually get posted. Here is the question. The city of Ann Arbor has determined certain policies as information that are beneficial to citizens only if it's publicly accessible information. Why now is the city of Ann Arbor unwilling to follow through and have the Ann Arbor Police Department post these policies on their website? I hope that the council members will use the time set aside in this meeting tonight to respond to comments made by citizens of Ann Arbor in this public forum. We as citizens have taken the time to come down here to speak to you about these issues. You can be polite and courteous enough to respond to our comments and concerns. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Our final speaker is Greg Pratt, who I believe we have on the phone. 
If Greg Pratt is on the line, if you can raise your hand. If you can press star six to raise your hand. Excuse me, star nine. Councilmember Grand, I don't see Greg Pratt on the line. Maybe give him a few seconds since we're delayed, and um, if not, we'll move on to council comment. Mr. Pratt, if you are there, please press star nine to raise your hand. Okay, do we have any communications from council this evening? Councilmember Griswold. I want to thank all of the citizens who have communicated regarding pedestrian paths in this community. Most people know that I've been a pedestrian safety advocate for almost 25 years now, and so uh, I really appreciate it when we have an engaging conversation regarding pedestrian paths. Uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of misinformation, uh, information that was taken out of context, and uh, it has definitely been an opportunity for lessons learned. How can we improve the process? We definitely need to improve the process for non-motorized transportation. We already had one problem with the East Medical Center Bridge, so we know this is an area uh, where we need to focus. And so I hope that we will move forward with that. Maybe the Transportation Commission can take a look at it. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll check with, um, with staff on this tomorrow to see how we can improve it. Uh, the second thing is um, when I was first elected to council, I introduced a communications resolution. It uh, did not make it out of committee. I plan to reintroduce a communications resolution in June at the administration meeting. I think we need some clarification regarding social media. Social media is a great tool for sharing information. I have concerns about violations of the Open Meetings Act when we start deliberating um, council business on social media, and there are so many different social media platforms now that it's hard to keep up with all of them. So thank you, and also I am available. If any of the speakers tonight would like to reach out to me tomorrow, uh, my phone number and email address are on the website. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any other communications from council? Okay, uh, Councilmember Ramlawi and then, oh, or um, Councilmember Nelson, whichever one of you would like to go first. I saw you raise your hands at the same time. Uh, I attended a meeting last week that um, would be interested, interesting to residents who are navigating um, state or hill. Um, there's a state hill improvement project that um, has a number of considerations that it will hopefully improve safety for cyclists and pedestrians in the area. The, um, there's information on my website, A2LNL, to, to help you more easily find the information on the city's website. You can sign up for updates if you want to track this issue. Um, I'm excited to see improvements there. I think a lot of people are because the state of Hill, no pun intended, is pretty terrible right now. Thanks. Thank you, Councilmember Malawi. Uh, thank you. Um, I was not here at our last meeting. Unfortunately, it was the first meeting I missed in nearly four years. Uh, I had 
come down with COVID. So I wasn't able to make it and uh, I've made a full recovery. I appreciate all the well wishes members of this body sent. And uh, most importantly really is that uh, that same week my signatures were due um, and I have had, had to have a, an affidavit of identity to go along with my signatures to appear uh, back on the ballot in August. And I was scrambling to figure out how to do that. And uh, fortunately, we have a superstar for a city clerk, Ms. Beaudry, who actually came to my house um, fully protected and met me outside, or she was, and accepted my signatures and witnessed me um, sign the affidavit of identity. And uh, I was successfully able to turn in my signatures to appear on the ballot. So really uh, a, lot of, a lot of thanks is, is due to the person uh, directly behind me. And uh, uh, it's just, if there's um, one position in, in this city hall that really earns the trust of, of the entire community, it should be our city clerk. And that's, that's really important. So thanks again. And uh, uh, that's about it for now. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Iyer. Thank you. Um, I'd like to address an item that's been removed from the agenda. Um, DC4 would have authorized city staff to negotiate an easement to take over a dilapidated asphalt connector pathway through Walden Village condos in Ward 4. When Walden Village was developed, the city and the developer recognized the importance of maintaining this, uh, what was already a public corridor. So it was written into the deed as part of the agreement that the condo association would pave and maintain the pathway going forward. Unfortunately, over the decades, the condo association didn't live up to this legal obligation. I began working on this issue last year, shortly after taking office. That included first getting educated on who, is, who was responsible for the pathway and how the city normally deals with dilapidated private infrastructure such as this. As the city administrator noted in his memo to council this week, the city's approach is to exhaust every possible approach uh, uh, and avenue to getting the property owner to fulfill their obligation before even considering acquisition. Last fall, city staff began discussions with the condo board about the need for them to fix the pathway. To the condo board's credit, those discussions went well, and in March, the board communicated that they had decided to commission a study to look at fixing the pathway, among other things, and develop a financial plan. The resolution that has now been withdrawn would have preempted further progress in this direction and instead committed the city to buying a $400,000 liability for a dollar. It would have been a radical departure from city practice and set a precedent that encourages property owners in similar circumstances to abandon their legal obligations because the city will presumably bail them out. Now that the resolution has wisely been withdrawn, I understand from Mr. Dehoney that staff is free to restart discussions with the condo association to resolve these infrastructure needs creatively. My goal is and has always been to get the pathway fixed as quickly as possible and do it in a way that is fair and follows precedent. I believe we can get that done together. Thank you. Thank you. Any other communications from council? Oh, Councilmember Sung. And then Councilmember Hanner. I believe Councilmember Griswold is alluding to uh, a social media post that I had posted on this issue um, and alerting folks to uh, our asphalt repair fund. Um, 
when I had asked city staff about whether there's a, a fund to acquire easements, uh, I was really curious about it because we, this issue has come up in Ward 2 where Racket Club had offered to sell the city an easement to build a sidewalk. And at that time, I had talked with planning. They said there is no such fund to buy private property um, in order to fulfill public obligations to the community. Um, so, you know, I pressed further and found out there's an asphalt improvement fund that's, uh, that's allocated from the sidewalk millage and also a process to evaluate the pathways throughout the city. And Ward 2 is scheduled is among those uh, pathway, pathways scheduled for repair in 2023. Um, mind you, the folks in our ward have been waiting for repairs on Earhart and Glacier for years now since council had voted against repairs along Earhart uh, several years ago. So I think folks who are calling and emailing in are excited with the prospect of having these um, areas paved as scheduled, as staff had reviewed and, uh, you know, responded to community and uh, I'm really encouraged by that. Also, uh, the Public Art Commission had asked me to invite folks to our next meeting on June 1st at 7.30. They'll be beginning a community engagement process, a process on disbursement of arts funds from ARPA. Uh, I also wanted to thank Parks for working with uh, volunteers, community activists on working on a Black Lives Matter mural site and trying to, under, trying to pick a park for this, for this effort. And finally, I wanted to, um, if I can encourage the community to take a look at uh, State Representative Ranjeev Puri's speech at the state legislature recently, introducing House Resolution 281 to declare May 2022 as AAPI Heritage Month. That's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Uh, he spoke movingly about model minority myths, anti-Asian hate from Vincent Chin's murder in Detroit in the 80s, COVID-related hate crimes to anti-Muslim violence against the Sikh community. Um, I will be planning to introduce a similar effort uh, at our next council meeting, and I hope for everyone's support. Oh, I'm sorry, one last thing. Uh, the county's uh, SARA application process is, ends soon, so if folks are still looking for COVID-related rental relief, uh, our Office of Economic Development is encouraging applications to come in. Thank you, Councilmember Hainer. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm sorry to see that that speaker, Mr. Barton, left early because he asked us to address, you know, his topic. Um, he's not around for it, but, uh, you know, I've been trying to address that topic. I've had all kinds of correspondence meeting with Chief Cox and other command staff, and, you know, he's asked that we bring a resolution to put a deadline on the, the time by which the police department would have to post these things, but... You know, we've had all, I think we've seen as a body that we've had all kinds of resolutions that put deadlines on things and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it can be done any faster, you know. And my understanding of that and the correspondence that we've had is that the PD is reviewing all these things and they're putting them up to their best of their ability. And, uh, you know, I hope that's the case. I'm taking their word on that and I have no reason to think it isn't. Um, you know, it, uh, that uh, since it was struck from the agenda, I was prepared to support DC4, this pathways thing, because it is no radical departure from city policy that the city take charge of all its walking paths because the sidewalk millage did just that and we took charge of 300 some odd miles of sidewalks from the community and every time a new development goes in it's more likely than not that those are public streets and sidewalks that are put in with that new development and we take 
charge and care of those too. So it's, it wasn't a radical departure to ask the city to, to take over for something where a private entity has failed to do so. Um, I mean, that's one of the driving reasons behind the sidewalk millage where we had folks that either didn't want to or couldn't afford to replace their crack slabs and so on at 250 a pop out and in. And, um, you know, we recognize that the sidewalks and paths and, and uh, various pedestrian amenities are a public good. And they're, they're, um, in many ways, their maintenance needs to be uh, commonly shared. And that's something that we do as a community here. So, um, you know, I hope that, I hope that they re-sign an agreement and stick to it. And if they don't, I think it would be no big deal if we took that over along with all the other hundreds of miles that we've done in the past. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comment from council? Okay, um, and I apologize for the length of um, these nominations, but um, before I go forward with, with all the nominations and appointments um, that will be coming forward at a future meeting, um, I do just want to take a minute to thank um, the depth and breadth of uh, volunteers and people who really do give their time and expertise to our community. And so, um, Again, apologize for the length of the list, but there are a bunch of nominations coming forward um, because it's just that time of year. So uh, the following nominations are being presented for your consideration. To the Airport Advisory Committee, Melanie McNicholas. To the Ann Arbor Area Transportation Authority Board, Kathleen Mozak. To the Ann Arbor Public Art Commission, Peggy Weir-Leonard and Kevin Cox. To the Building Board of Appeals, Paul Darling. To the Center of the City, Council of the Commons, Alan Haber, Adam Zemke, Alice Ralph, Camilla Lizendia, Frank Wilhelm, Jeffrey Henry, Jennifer Cornell, Rita, and Rita Mitchell. To the City Planning Commission, Juan Wu Lee, Sarah Hammerschmidt, and Ellie Abrams. To the Commission on Disability Issues, Alex Gossage, Kathleen Mozak, Larry Keeler, to the Design Review Board, Gary Cooper, to the Downtown Area Citizens Advisory Council, Donald Duquette, John Chamberlain, and Joan French, to the Downtown Development Authority, Tyler Kinney, to the Elizabeth Dean Fund Committee, Donald Wartman, Elizabeth Collins, to the Energy Commission, Kayleen Colvin-Garcia, to the Historic District Commission, David Rocklin, and Catherine Fortner, to the Housing Board of Appeals, Tim Durham and Jerry Schulte, to the Housing Commission, Deanna Bohr, to the Human Rights Commission, Linda Winkler, Keita Cohen, and Aidan Sova, to the Huron River Watershed Council, Janice Bobrin, to the Leslie Science and Nature Center Board of Directors, City Representative Paige Morrison, to the Park Advisory Commission, Ruth Kraut, to the Public Market Advisory Commission, Peter Wolf, to the Renters Commission, Liam Wolf, Lucy Peterson, and Kristen Cato, to the Transportation Commission, Brett Hadamaki and Megan Broven, to the Zoning Board of Appeals, Todd Grant, Chris Fraley, and to the Economic Development Corporation Board, Milton Dahoney Jr. And then there will also be some nominations coming forward um, from those who are not registered electors in the city, um, and that is on the Ann Arbor Public Arts Commission, Mary Thiefels and Sophie Grillet to the Cable Communications Commission, Thomas Wright, to the Design Review Board, Jeffrey Perkins, to the Recreation Advisory Commission, uh, Lawrence O'Connell, to the Renters Commission, Kozine Welch, and Dan Dan Chen. And um, another appreciation for our clerk who knew that that was a lot for me to read, so she printed it out in advance. Thank you. May I have a motion to approve the consent agenda? 
Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Nelson. Any comment or discussion on the consent agenda? Yes, Councilmember Nelson. I'd like to pull CA7. Okay. Any other discussion? Yes, Councilmember Hanger. Um, I'd like to have CA14 removed for discussion, please. Okay. Anything else? Okay, seeing no further discussion, all in favor? I opposed. The consent agenda passes with the exception of CA7 and CA14. Um, also satisfying just with eight, the eight vote requirement of CA6. CA15, and those are the only two. All right, CA7. And I have a motion to approve CA7. Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Nelson. Councilmember Nelson. Thank you. Um, I, I was hoping to hear some explanation from staff. Um, I, I really appreciate this as a creative solution, and I was wondering, um, I was wondering, I guess, if we contemplate if this is successful, transitioning away from HVA, or um, I, I guess I would like a little more explanation about the the shared nature of the this. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like <laughs> we're going to be getting calls, and like some of our city staff are going to be taking them. It sounds like a, a really good plan to improve our level of service. So I'd just like to hear more explanation about this. Um, I can I could actually answer your question, but since Chief Kennedy is available, why don't we have him do it? Good evening, uh, Council. Um, Councilmember Nelson, and uh, answer your question. The plan is um, this to be a system in concert and coordination with HVA, not to replace them. Um, that would be a monumental effort to try to, from, from both a, a staffing logistics vehicle, um, that's not on the, uh, that's, that's not, not anything that's being pitched currently to, to do this. Um, so some basic math on that, that would be a project well north of a million dollars. And um, that, that's, a, that, that's a conservative estimate at, at best. Um, this is meant to be, as it's um, stated, a, a safety net. So when HVA goes uh, what we call zero status, they have no ambulances available. Um, Ann Arbor firefighters have a, have a safety that we can uh, transport a, a critical patient, or if we're on scene with a non-critical patient and their ambulances keep getting diverted, this allows us that opportunity uh, to do so. Thank you. Um, do how often does this happen that you make a call to HVA and they have none available? Like, I, how how often do you anticipate that this is likely to happen? Um, I, I apologize. I don't have the, uh, the the stats directly in front of me. Um, it, it's been several hundred times over the last couple of years, and with that, it's we have been on scene with both critical and non-critical patients uh, for an extended period of time. Um, as recent as, um, I've got the date, uh, uh, April 21st, we were on scene for an hour waiting for an ambulance. 
And the impact of that is, is that that uh, fire company is, is out of service. Once we make patient contact, we can't abandon care. And so what we're seeing uh, uh, at minimum weekly basis, sometimes daily basis are these extended response times. And a lot of times they aren't critical patient, but the impact it's having is that it is, it's taking our, our fire apparatus out of service and it's having an impact on our response to other emergencies. Um, in the back half of calendar 21, we had two structure fires within a week and we had two fire companies unavailable for those structure fires because they were sitting on patients. So um, that's, that's what we're trying to address. This is um, why, we're, why we are doing the trial is so we can have some uh, data for exactly how often we are going to be transporting. My best guess would be this is probably something that will happen daily, um, if not multiple times a day. Okay, thank you, Councilmember Mallory. Thank you. Um, thank you, Chief Kennedy, for, for being here. I got a question. I just remember when we first, when I first joined council, there was discussion on needing additional equipment for life support, for transportation as such. Um, there was a couple hundred thousand dollar ask, and uh, I apologize, but has that been fulfilled? Did we purchase that, that vehicle that was, that was asked for a few years back? No, sir. So that was literally right before COVID. Uh, so, so that request came December of 19. And um, as you all know too well, uh, the world changed uh, March of 20. Um, and with that, we, we had a bit of a reset and that this was a very big problem pre-COVID. Um, with everything that went on with COVID, it kind of subsided. And then this has really taken off summer of 21 is when we just noticed a significant increase in the lack of available ambulances um, and it really became noted uh, when, when students came back in um, really enforced this last school year um, we saw that impact so in answer to your original question uh, we did not purchase a transport ambulance um, back in uh, it would have been fiscal uh, fiscal 21 and, and COVID, we weren't sure what was going to happen with COVID, so that's why that didn't go forward. Um, could, could you better explain how we're able to, to take on these additional responsibilities without, without that piece of equipment, or are we planning to, to get one? So what this um, trial does is there's going to be a, so HVA has more ambulances than people. And so a HVA ambulance is, is literally going to be parked across the street in fire station one staffed with two Ann Arbor, two Ann Arbor firefighters. Right now we have a, a light, uh, what we call a light rescue. It's a, it's a pickup that's um, non-transport. And so instead of being on that pickup truck, um, these two firefighter EMTs are going to be on uh, an HVA uh, transport rig. So that, that's, that's what this file is doing. All right, yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering if I, I lost something, but thanks for explaining that. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll stay tuned to see what the, um, what the experience with this new arrangement's like. Okay, any other questions? Okay, all those in favor? 
All right, opposed? Okay, CA7 passes. Uh, CA14, resolution to approve a construction contract with Bailey Excavating for the 2022 miscellaneous utility project. Moved by Councilmember Hainer, seconded by Councilmember Desch. Discussion? Councilmember Hainer. Uh, thank you. So I have a couple comments and a question. My question is, uh, I guess I'll ask my question first to whoever would like to answer. Um, have, based on the previous bids that we have received from this um, contractor, have, have we fully vetted the applications this time to make sure that all the information on there is complete and accurate? Mr. Does anybody want to answer that? Yeah, I can answer that. Yes, Thanks, we, we Thanks, have. Uh, yeah, with this, this is Nick Hutchinson, city engineer. Yeah, we've uh, the concerns that we heard previously were regarding safety record. Um, we've checked and verified the information that they've submitted um, with the OSHA website. So yes, that has. Been oh, okay. So, this I had two concerns about this. The first concern um, is related to the letter we received from the Michigan Infrastructure and. Uh, Transportation Association, it's a group of uh, folks here who, folks here in the state who bid on these type of projects and represent contractors. Um, and, you know, they have concerns that the um, method that we're using to determine these is, could be considered anti-competitive in that it, um, well, we, you may have heard this conversation at this table before, but it creates a subjective rather than objective way to view these bids and it weighs them in a manner that may be considered anti-competitive by some indeed the folks that might have believed that this this may be an instance of that and the second concern i have is that this is a contract that is if you read the resolution you see that it's being paid for with bonds that we have not yet sold it's going to be paid for with proceeds from bonds that are yet to be issued so because of my concerns about the nature of the the contract screening process, um, I'm just not going to support this. I don't want to put my name to this this kind of thing. I I I was not surprised to see that letter from Mita, and I'm I I believe it's accurate. Hey, any other comments for CA14? Uh, Councilmember Lowy and then Councilmember Iyer. I unfortunately wasn't here at our last meeting, and since we're on this topic of contracts and contractors and criteria for scoring such and awarding them, I just know, I guess I'll just have to save my, my comments for, for communications because they don't necessarily pertain to this here, but I share the concerns that were raised uh, by the trade group who sent us all a letter who raised questions on the anti-competitive process and the effects that Prop A will have on future contracts, who's going to bid on those contracts, and how much it's going to cost the city. Um, as we go forward, I believe it's going to be more of a challenge for the city to deliver on what it needs to deliver <coughs> based on the way contracts are now 
being awarded and how the city is viewed by contractors. Councilmember Iyer. Thank you. Um, I just want to take a minute to thank staff for the really diligent hard work that they've put in to adopt um, the scoring system and to implement it um, in accordance with council policy and in accordance with what a vast majority, uh, you know, 70 some percent of Ann Arbor voters uh, said they wanted, which is to stop awarding contracts on the basis of uh, the cheapest bid and to instead uh, award them based on the things that we believe will provide the best value to the city. And uh, again, you know, I think staff is working really hard to implement this. I think anytime you make a, a pretty big change like this, it's going to take a little time for things to kind of level out for, for people to adjust to it. Um, but as far as the concerns from the trade group goes, you know, in my view, um, and from all the conversations I've had in the community, uh, what we have now is a process that is a level playing field. And, uh, in, you know, instead of just focusing on one thing, which is bottom line, uh, which usually is a race to the bottom, um, you know, we are uh, prioritizing a whole bunch of things that will deliver quality construction on city projects. Uh, so I think I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, Councilmember Mulloway. I appreciate what was just said, but I disagree. We keep throwing around the 70% voting percentage when we had 14% turnout. So um, less than 10% or about 10% the voters decided on this and I think a lot of them didn't fully understand the ramifications of Prop A. Um, <clears throat> the nebulous way that we award contracts these days will result in us paying more for less as we go forward. I don't think there were any problems <clears throat> with the way work was done prior to Prop A. I think that there are other forces at, at play. I will then respond to saying that the last meeting, E.T. McKinsey was awarded a $1.8 million contract without anybody raising question about their safety record or anything like that. Whereas earlier this year, they were deemed unqualified to be working in our community. Last meeting, a $1.8 million contract was given to them without question. So uh, I will just continue to highlight the irregularities that I witness from my seat. Thank you. Councilmember Iyer. Two points. Uh, first, as I've pointed out before, but I, I think bears um, pointing out again, uh, anytime a council member <laughs> tries to uh, dismiss the will of the voters here. This ballot measure was passed by three times as many uh, votes as the council member who uh, just spoke received and most of us here at the table received. So, uh, you know, let's, let's not question, uh, you know, the will of the, of the voters. I think that's really um, 
not the right thing to do. The other thing is uh, nobody declared E.T. McKenzie unqualified to do work in the city. It was simply a question of comparative uh, safety profile. And uh, so I think it's, I think we gotta be really careful with our words here. And uh, let's, you know, hold to the facts and be accurate. Thank you. Okay, anyone else wish to speak? Councilmember Hainer. Thanks. I know that it was from not questioning the will of the voters that I was so welcome and warmly received at this table. No one questioned, no one questioned the will of the voters when I got elected, did they? All right, let's not, let's not have this kind of nonsense talk about voters. I think, I think uh, Councilman Ramali was just pointing out that when you say it's an overwhelming majority of the community and you have 15, 70% of 15%, you have 10%. So that's not a majority by any count. It's a majority of the people who showed up in a, you know, I mean, great, that's how democracy works, but we're a representative democracy. And so uh, it, we're perfectly welcome to, to, to question anything that comes before us. And I question this and I will not support it. Okay, any other? Comments. It sounds like we need a roll call vote starting with Councilmember Dish, please. Yes. Councilmember Dish? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song? Yes. Councilmember Grand? Yes. Councilmember Radina? Absent. Mayor Taylor? Absent. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs, absent. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? No. Motion carries. Thank you, and thank you, Mr. Hutchinson, and also thank you, Chief Kennedy, for being with us earlier this evening. Okay, so we now come to a um, not-so-short series of public hearings this evening. Um, remind the public that public hearings are an opportunity for public and the members of the community to speak on a matter specific to that public hearing. Speakers will have three minutes in which to speak. They can speak um, in chambers or if they are calling in from home, um, reminder to please call the number on the screen um, and then enter meeting ID 942-1273-2148. When you come to the public hearing in which you wish to speak, please press star nine. And if you need any assistance, we will be pleased to provide it to you. Um, I understand with eight public hearings, sometimes there can be a little confusion calling in. So if for some reason you call into the wrong public hearing, you will not be the first or last person to do so and we'll make sure you get to the right one. The first public hearing, public hearing one, an ordinance to amend chapter 112, non-discrimination, sections 9150, 9151, 9156 and 9159, Title IX of the Code of the City Ann Arbor to update definitions of gender expression, gender identity and sexual orientation, reorder definitions, add definition of religion to include prohibition against religious-based hair and head coverings discrimination, and to remove requirement that complaint be filed within 180 days. Is there anyone who would like to speak at this public hearing? in chambers. Okay, seeing no one, is there anyone that would like to speak to public hearing one online? Mayor Pro Tem, I don't see anyone online for this hearing. 
Okay, seeing no one, this public hearing is closed. Public hearing two, resolution to improve industrial facilities exemption certificate between the city of Ann Arbor and Sartorius Bioanalytical Instruments. Is there anyone in chambers who would like to speak at this public hearing? If you would like to do so, please come forward. Evening Council, Cam McCausland, Portage Capital Partners, the developer of the project. Um, just back for, for uh, just to remind everybody, I'm sure you're tired of hearing. I think this is about the fourth time I've repeated these things, but we've uh, effectively created uh, or creating uh, uh, a uh, approximately $60 million facility at this site. We've, uh, we've torn down and remediated a um, 1960s functionally obsolescent building, uh, creating uh, 300 new jobs in the marketplace and uh, in looking to move forward, this is a critical component to our, our uh, whole development proposal that we have uh, moved forward with. So I appreciate your consideration again this evening. Thank you. Is there anyone else in chambers who'd like to speak at public hearing too? Ms. Boudry, is there anyone online who'd like to speak? Oh, go ahead. So it looks like we have one more in-house speaker. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Grant, thank you. My name is Ken Garber, and I wasn't going to speak because uh, Mayor Taylor indicated at the April 4th public hearing that uh, those who spoke on that at that occasion would not be allowed to speak tonight on this topic because it would be a continuation of the public hearing. But since Mr. McCausland, who did speak back in April 4th at that hearing, spoke, I wonder if I could have permission to make some comments. You pointed out we broke our rules. Go for it. Um, okay. Um, can I have my three minutes back? Anyway, thank you. Um, so yes, um, Sartorius uh, has a strong corporate sustainability ethic. It intends to build to a lead gold standard and plans to offset emissions. But none of this mitigates the greenhouse gas emissions from this energy hungry building, which based on the company's stated energy use intensity of 250 um, kilobtus per square foot per year, I calculated 4,160 metric tons CO2 equivalent emissions annually. That may not be right on, but that's my calculation. Um, so um, the company's uh, contention is that it must use gas because the, uh, air, the uh, room air turnover is constant in these buildings due to the, the high number of fume hoods in the laboratories there. Um, uh, the uh, mechanical consultant, Bill Vernier, said at the last hearing that geothermal and air source heat pumps were impractical uh, in a building like this because these labs operate 24 hours a day, functioning at full airflow all the time. They never go down. They never have an off-season. Actually, several innovations are now available to reduce fume hood airflow so that the need for constant air exchange is minimized. These allow major energy savings. These innovations include venturi valves, which reduce airflow to a minimum when the hoods are not in use, turning down the airflow in the teaching labs when they're not occupied, excuse me, the research labs, putting the ventilation system into so-called vacancy mode, hood hibernation, where um, valves control fume hoods individually instead of banks of fume hoods, as they now do, ductless fume hoods, where instead of sending the fumes outside, they run through a filter to remove chemical vapors, the air is then recirculated to the building. Not all these solutions can be used in all situations, 
but if they're designed into the building, they can substantially reduce its energy use and reduce the need for constant air exchange and the resultant heating requirements. Um, we know it is possible to avoid gas heating because such lab buildings are starting to go up elsewhere. At the last hearing, I mentioned the Integrated Science Center at Carleton College in Minnesota, which employs geothermal. Another example is the Integrative Genomics Building at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, which uses a heat recovery chiller and air source heat pump. Uh, I guess, to conclude, I would say I support uh, Sartorius building here in Ann Arbor. I think it would be an important addition to the community in terms of economic benefit. Um, and frankly, I, you know, I, I cover the biotech industry as a science reporter, and I think highly of this company. I think it can do better. I think that the tax abatement should be conditioned on um, using, going fully electric in this building. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who'd like to speak? Good evening. My name is Phil Santor with Ann Arbor Spark. Um, I just wanted to appreciate uh, Council's consideration of the industrial facilities ex exemption for Sartorius this evening. Um, they're an international firm, has been stated, which means they have opportunities to invest around the world, and um, they're giving pretty con significant consideration to uh, a location in Ann Arbor, which I think is something that we need to underscore. As was mentioned previously, um, they're looking at redeveloping a functionally obsolete property on Research Park Drive, one of the main entry points into uh, Ann Arbor, and they are um, a, a growing uh, bioscience company that um, Ann Arbor has both a historic and a growing reputation for uh, in our community, so I think we want to try and encourage that. Um, the project will house hundreds of employees with a range of employment opportunities, uh, and not only that, but it's been stated that the, uh, the facility is LEED certified and will be using renewable energy to, for its operations. Uh, we've been working for some time on the project and the company. The development team and the company have been outstanding partners at every step of the process. Um, also wanted to recognize uh, city staff for their work on this effort, um, which has involved a significant amount of their time and expertise. Uh, Derek Delacourt, Brett Leonard, Nick Hutchinson, City Administrator Honey, OSI, and many others have provided their time, um, not just on this request, but on the project overall, and I want to make sure that that was recognized. Uh, so thank you for your time and consideration this evening. Thank you. Ms. Boudry, is there anyone online? I don't have any callers on the line for this hearing. Okay, so seeing no one else, the public hearing two is closed. Public hearing three, an ordinance to amend section 263 of chapter 29, water rates of title two of the code of the city of Ann Arbor. Is there anyone who wishes to speak in person for public hearing three? Ms. Boudry, is there anyone on the phone? I don't see any callers on the line for this hearing. Okay, so seeing no one in either place, public hearing three is closed. Public hearing four, an ordinance to amend section 269 of chapter 29, stormwater rates of title two of the code of the city of Ann Arbor. Is there anyone in council chambers who wishes to speak at this public hearing? Ms. Boudry, is there anyone on the phone? I don't have any callers on the line for this hearing. Okay, so seeing no one, um, public hearing four is closed. Public hearing five, resolution to approve fiscal year 2023 fee adjustments for the community services area. Is there anyone here who wishes to speak concerning public hearing five?
Ms. Boudry, do we have anyone on the phone? We don't have any callers on the line for this hearing. Okay, thank you. Seeing no one, uh, public hearing five is closed. Public hearing six, resolution to approve fiscal year 2023 fee adjustments for public services area, engineering, systems planning, public works, and water. Is there anyone in chambers who wishes to speak at this public hearing? And Ms. Boudry? We have no callers on the line for this hearing. Okay, so public hearing six is closed. Public hearing seven, resolution to approve fiscal year 2023 fee adjustments for the fire department. Is there anyone in chambers who wishes to speak at this public hearing? And Ms. Boudry. I have no callers on the line for this hearing. Okay, so public hearing seven is closed. I have a feeling we might get a couple for this one. Public hearing eight, resolution to adopt Ann Arbor City budget and related property tax rates for fiscal year 2023. Is there anyone in chambers who wishes to speak at this public hearing? If you would like to do so, please come forward. Ms. Boudry, do we have any callers? We do. Greg Pratt, you can unmute your phone by pressing star six. Do you have a comment? Go ahead. Uh, can you hear me? We can. Can you? Okay, good. Good evening, Mayor and Council. I'm Greg Pratt from Ward 3 in East Ann Arbor and a volunteer with Survivors Speak. We're asking with the proposed budget before you today to use some of the general fund dollars to bring black owned businesses downtown, providing a spaces like an incubator. We think providing leases for black owned businesses at a deeply reduced cost could go a long way towards beginning a program of municipal reparations. What are we repairing? We are beginning a process to materially repair the damage our white dominated society and local community have done to the people who built our country. We mean literally built it. We know the stats, we know the outcomes, we know the disparities that exist. And we know that in Ann Arbor, housing supply was restricted for so long that we are now decades behind demand for housing. And here's the key piece of that. Demand at each level of affordability from zero income to market rate median income level. We also know that in order to get housing for folks making 40K or less per year, we need to directly invest in it like we're doing with our housing millage. So thanks to all residents who voted, voted for the millage in 2020, that was a good step to take. And we're seeing tangible results already with that investment. But it's not enough. So why should we implement reparations at the local municipal level? We cannot wait for the gridlock in D.C. to entangle itself. We should strive to change legislation and precedent at the state and federal levels of government that, as Brooke Simone puts it in a recent article in the Michigan Law Review titled Municipal Reparations, Considerations and Constitutionality, reparations should not be confined by anti-classification approach that stifles hope of remediating structural racism. However, we should not let precedent and legislation at the state and federal level stop us from acting locally like we've done with the affordable housing village. While we cannot solve the entire housing crisis with direct investment in affordable housing to people making <clears throat> zero to 40K a year, we can do our part. We did that in 2020 and I'm grateful we live in a city that supports investment in our fellow working class citizens of all stripes. If we can figure out a way to do that, our part in funding affordable housing, we can also figure out a way to start a program of reparations for American descendants of slaves and freed persons. Let's try it out by supporting initiatives that will empower black business development and ownership. 
perhaps a partnership of sorts with the forthcoming Avalon Art Space development on 4th and Catherine. I look seconds. forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks for your time. Look for Survivor Speak on Facebook, Instagram, and SurvivorSpeak.info on the web. We will also be covering this on EastAnnArbor.com, which is a new local politics and outreach newsletter I publish every Sunday, 10 a.m. on Substack. Subscriptions are free, delivered to your Sunday morning email inbox. Thank you for your time and for your service on council. Thank you. Do we have any additional speakers on the phone? Caller with the phone number ending in 163, do you have a comment? You can press star six to unmute your phone, caller 163. Go ahead. Hello, city council members. First, I want to thank you for your previous vote against funding the Deer Call, instead putting taxpayer dollars toward more important city priorities, such as DEI, affordable housing, and protecting our most vulnerable citizens. I am a lifelong Michigan resident, 30 a year, Ann Arborite, U of M grad, mother of four U of M kids who volunteer in this community, one of whom is a first grade teacher in Ann Arbor. Regarding funding another Duracol, it is necessary to reiterate there are better places to spend money, for example, our schools. We are lacking greatly needed in classroom services for the many at risk children. Our schools and teachers need our support as they work tirelessly to meet the day's challenges and educate every child to be a kind, responsible citizen of our community and the world. Supporting our schools and our children makes Ann Arbor a better place. The same thing cannot be said for the deer call, which diminishes our wildlife and enjoyment of nature. The deer call is not just financially wasteful, but it also sends a harmful message to our children and opposes what this community stands for. Ann Arbor is a forward-thinking community dedicated to realizing the change that we wish to see. As a community, we have always driven from high moral and ethical standards. A part of this is valuing our parks and wildlife and appreciating our ability to enjoy all the peace and tranquility they provide. I am saddened when I look around and see green spaces disappearing. It seems we are diverging from our history as a town dedicated to and named for its natural beauty. It makes me sad for the wildlife that is increasingly being forced out of its natural habitat. We are a community who claims to be dedicated to the world's health and to the health of our natural spaces, and yet closing parks to families and sending in sharpshooters to kill wildlife is the antithesis of those values. The healthy message to our children is that we will find ways to coexist in our environment and we can pursue rational, responsible approaches to issues. The deer call is neither rational nor responsible. Citing data on the city of Ann Arbor's website, White Buffalo estimated that the calls from 2017 to 2019 decreased the deer population in wards one and two from approximately 450 to 230. However, no significant corresponding decrease in deer-related vehicle crashes was seen. There were 56 deer-related crashes in 2017 and 50 in 2019. This is the most recent data provided on Ann Arbor's website. Given this data, I cannot find any justification for continued calls because they have not been effective in any goal aside from spending several hundreds of thousands of dollars. You have dedicated money and time to analyzing the frequency of deer collisions in different places throughout Ann Arbor. And therefore, let's take the responsible and humane approach of increasing fencing, signage, 30 and seconds. lighting, trimming brush from roadways, and decreasing speed limits in those areas. In fact, a Cornell study states that fencing combined with underpasses and overpasses as appropriate is the only broadly accepted method that is theoretically sound and proven to be effective. In closing, I do not support another deer call. I support spending funds on programs that promote a more earth-conscious path and display a less violent image for our children and community. Humans are but one piece of the puzzle. Nature is also critical and a most enjoyable piece. The fabric of our community is strengthened by embracing compassion and nonviolent solutions. 
I'm exceedingly grateful for your service to this community and hard work. I hope that you will reject yet another deer call and thereby support the well-being of Ann Arbor, our natural areas, and our wildlife. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Thank you. Caller with the phone number ending in 345. Press star 6 to unmute your phone. Go ahead. Hello, my name is Kitty Khan. I live in the fifth ward. On December 16th, 2019, a resolution was sponsored by Ann Bannister and Jack Eaton and passed by city council. It is entitled, Resolution to Support Center of the City Interim Use and Long-Term Planning for the Center of the City Library Lot Property. I'm going to read one of the resolved clauses from that resolution. The second resolved clause says, resolved, that the revenue from the library lane surface parking will help to fund the center of the city improvements. The city administrator will work with the downtown development authority to recover or replace the revenue for this purpose, starting on November 6, 2018, the value of the library lane surface parking will be based on the Downtown Development Authority's announced per diem value of $875 six days per week. If you calculate the total, it adds up to over $900,000 as of now. And yet, the city has contributed only $40,000 to the center of the city, and there is not even $1 in this proposed budget. It is time the city kept its promise to the citizens of Ann Arbor and to this charter amendment. And one more thing. Earlier in this meeting, Councilmember Iyer said that we shouldn't question the will of the voters. Well then, let's respect the will of the voters who passed Proposal A and keep our word to those voters. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem, I don't see any other callers with their hands up. Okay, thank you, Ms. Boudry. I'm seeing no other callers. This oh. public hearing is closed. Mayor, oh, sorry, I do have a phone Oh, note. okay, it's not closed. Just kidding. Next speaker, please. Caller with the phone number ending in 644. Do you have a comment? Yes, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. My name is Kathy Boris. I live at 1726 Charlton in the 5th Ward. Mayor Pro Tem, City Council, and Ann Arbor neighbors. The budget as proposed has no line item for the center of the city commons. Zero dollars, nothing. This is surprising because Proposition A was passed handily by Ann Arbor voters almost three and a half years ago. As uh, the woman who spoke before me said, we should respect what the voters said. So here they, uh, three and a half years ago, they overwhelmingly passed Proposition A. 
The ballot language made no mention of how the center of the city would be funded. But I think it would be reasonable to assume that most voters expected this city project to have some city funding. And so I urge you to add at least 75000 or $100,000 to this budget for tables, fairs, plantings, and temporary restrooms for the center of the city so that everyone can begin to enjoy this space as soon as possible. Remember, too, that many units of affordable housing, as well as market rate housing, are planned for the downtown area in the next few years. People who live in these developments will need a place that is open, green and public, a place to get outdoors, enjoy trees and flowers, enjoy a falafel or an ice cream cone, and the company of other people. So I urge you tonight to add to the proposed budget a reasonable amount of funding for the center of the city. Again, please respect the will of the voters. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Boudry, do we have any other callers? Caller with the phone number ending in 464. Press star six to unmute your phone. Caller 464, do you have a comment? Yes. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry. Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, so two things I want to address. Um, first of all, um, I strongly support approving the $700,000 amount for a comprehensive review and update of the city's comprehensive plan, what we used to call the master plan that, city, that Administrator Dahoney put into the budget. As he stated when he presented the budget, our plan is very badly out of date. We're supposed to be updating it, I think, every five years, and it's been, it's not been 10 years, but it's, it's, you know, it's like seven or eight years. So we're not in state compliance. This is really important. Um, community de demographics are changing. The values are changing in the community. This needs to happen as soon as possible. And it needs to include wide and deep public participation across all sectors of the community, all ages, all income levels, all ethnicities, all neighborhoods. And the facilitators need to actually go out into those communities to engage people. Please don't try to whittle away at the $700,000 figure. If uh, Mr. Dahoney thinks that's what it takes, that's what you, you need to approve, please. The other item is also something that I believe we are out of compliance. Um, it's been nearly four years since the voter approved ballot proposal um, designated the so-called library lot as public civic, civic space. That is now in our city charter. By continuing to allow the DDA to use it as a parking lot and to withhold any minimal funding for minor improvements to make it comfortable for people to hang out there means we are not in compliance with our own city charter. It's just unconscionable. I know there are still people in the community who cannot accept that that ballot proposal passed. I hear them online all the time on social media. It's like, it's like the Trumpists, you know? A lot of people can't believe Joe Biden won, but you know what? He did. And you know what? A lot of people can't believe 
that Prop A passed, but guess what? It did. And we are out of compliance. And I would please ask you to get us into compliance. Designated some funds. Doesn't have to be zillions of dollars, but we need internet access there. We need a public restroom. We need tables, furnishings, chairs, et cetera, et cetera. At least now for seconds. a start. And then we can work a for a start, and then we can work on something better. Um, it's just, it's, <laughs> I just wish more of you could understand that it's a valid proposal that passed. It's in our city charter. And, you know, look at Matt Altruda. He's a great example of somebody who was so opposed to it, but now he understands it's in our charter. So he wants to make the best of it, and he's doing whatever he can to make that happen. He brought Leto Sadi to an event for Earth Day. Thank you. He's, he's, Please follow Matt Altruda's example, those of you who have been naysayers about this. And thank you for listening to me. Caller with the phone number ending in 733. Do you have a comment? Press star 6 to unmute your phone. Caller 733, do you have a comment? My name is Glenn Nelson, <clears throat> one of the leaders of centers, the Center for Mental Health and Public Safety, Citizens for Mental Health and Public Safety. My greeting to you is, and how are the children? Our group um, originally supported an appropriation of $5 million for programs serving young people. This investment would yield higher future benefits than any other option. It is also an important step towards greater equity. The need for more services for children and youth is recognized virtually everywhere except in the Ann Arbor City budget. The evidence continues to mount. Just a few days ago, a front page headline in the New York Times proclaimed, and I quote, it's life or death. U.S. teenagers face a mental health crisis. Recognizing the realities of budget adjustments at this stage, we now recommend that one or more council members propose a budget amendment that would appropriate $1.5 million for social supports for children and youth and their families. These programs would not be mental health treatment programs, but rather health and wellness activities. The goals are to decrease anxiety, depression, self-harm, isolation, suicide, and recreational drug use, and increased pro-social activities for youth and families. While the city would provide programming directly by the Parks and Recreation Department, much would be delivered by contractors. These contractors might include, but certainly not be limited to, neighborhood centers such as Peace Neighborhood, the Community Action Network, nonprofits such as the Neutral Zone and the Reconet Department of the Ann Arbor Public Schools. In our view, the logical source to fund a recommendation is the city's revenue from the county mental health and safety millage. However, appropriating the needed funds is the important thing, not the source of the funds. I do want to note we appreciate the earmarking of 200,000 of ARPA funds for arts-based trauma programs. 
We also appreciate the recommended appropriation from the marijuana excise tax rebate of $35,366. 30 we would note that this sum of $235,000 equals 0.04% of the sum of the city administrator's recommended budget, ARPA, and marijuana excise tax funds. That is four cents of each $100 you appropriate dedicated to Time. children and Thank youth. Thank you. Fine. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to remind all members in chambers, um, thank you, Mr. Nelson, uh, that we are still required to wear masks um, during council meetings. Ms. Boudry, do we have any other callers? Luis Vasquez, do you have a comment? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, thank you. Um, there is money uh, in the budget for the so-called center of the city. Um, Mr. Dahoney and his uh, wisdom uh, put $100,000 towards uh, Liberty Plaza, which is part of the so-called center of the city. Um, I, I, I'm thankful for that, uh, Mr. Dahoney, that you put that money there because Liberty Plaza seems to be just an afterthought um, when it comes to all the uh, deliberations about uh, what to do with the library lot. You know, one uh, proposal A um, proponents were pushing uh, proposal A in 2018, there were promises made to raise funds for uh, anything that would be put on uh, the library lot. Uh, but here we are three and a half years later with mm, maybe $50,000 raised by uh, Mr. Wilhelm and um, and uh, it seems like Mr. Hathaway has totally abandoned um, anything to do with uh, the so-called center of the city. Uh, but the, you know, these, these people promised that um, there would be a lot of money raised um, by now uh, in order to have um, a celebration uh, of the city's uh, uh, 200 year anniversary in uh, 2024. But um, they are so far away from their goals. Um, so I, I'm, I'm for um, putting uh, resources, bathrooms, Wi-Fi uh, onto Liberty Plaza. Um, uh, that is the park that we have on that block and it should be funded uh, before any taxpayer money uh, is spent on uh, the library lot. Uh, and also um, I'm, I'm uh, kind of disappointed that there was no money for a deer call. Um, I'm hoping that um, Ann Arbor doesn't experience uh, more um, deer ticks and limes result. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully uh, there, there is a, a deer count and if uh, we see an excess of deer that uh, in next year's budget or the year after that we reconsider uh, having a deer call. Thank you very much for your time. 
Thank you. Adam Goodman, do you have a comment? Yeah, hi. Um, I just want to add on to what Mr. Vesquez just said uh, by reading directly from an MLive article in 2019 entitled, Who Will Pay for Ann Arbor's Downtown Central Park? Um, this is starting with a quote from Will Hathaway. Quote, most downtown parks we've looked at have significant support from private donors, both individuals and businesses, he said at the time. We expect to work through the planning process and design issues and raise funds starting in 2019 with the goal of dedicating a new park and civic center in 2024. Why that date 2024 is Ann Arbor's bicentennial, end quote. Frank Wilhelm, another resident who worked on the campaign, vowed last year to put his energy into raising community donations to fund the park slash commons if voters approved it. He said recently he still wants to do so if there's a concept to present to donors that's still being worked out through the task force process. Alan Haber, another leader of the Central Park campaign, said last year the park slash commons could be funded in a way that's neutral in terms of impact on the city's general fund budget. Okay, I'm going to stop reading there. Um, the point here is that, no, the voters were, were not presented with information that would lead them to expect that the city would put significant funding into this project, especially before a significant amount of private funding had been raised. Um, so so I, I agree with Mr. Vesquez, uh, upgrading Liberty Plaza is a great idea, but funding developed a, a park or, or whatever on the library lot should not happen, at least not until there is a significant amount of uh, private funding and, and a plan for that matter. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem, I don't have any other callers on the line for this hearing. Okay, thank you, Ms. Boudry. I'm seeing no other callers. This public hearing is closed. Could I have a motion to approve the council minutes from our regular session meeting of April 18th, 2022? Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Malawi. Any discussion of the minutes? All those in favor? Opposed? Motion carries. Um, we'll have our first, um, second readings of reading of ordinance um, this is B1, an ordinance to amend Chapter 112, non-discrimination. Sections 9150, 9151, that the complaint be filed within 180 days. Councilmember Nelson. It, it looks like I'm the, of the three sponsors of this ordinance, I'm the only one here. So um, I, I think that we said quite a lot at the first uh, reading of this ordinance. Um, Mayor Pro Tem, we need a motion. Oh. oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I thought we had one. Uh, Chris Waldhainer, my apologies. Sorry, Councilmember Nelson, please begin your time again. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> then I get confused. Um, yeah, I just I just want to say that this is um, this is one of the more interesting um, 
types of work that happens at the Human Rights Commission. I know that um, the procedural changes um, were very well thought out and um, discussed thoughtfully. Um, and these changes are just um, more of our community moving in the right direction and contemplating ways in which people are discriminated against and um, treated unfairly and trying to trying to imagine a community where that isn't happening. Um, I look forward to us passing this at second reading. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Lowy. Uh, thank you, and thanks to the folks that worked on this and, and did all the heavy lifting to bring it to council for consideration. Uh, I expect it to be passed unanimously, but I do have a question on uh, on the statutory uh, limitations. Um, if there's a statutory limitation, we were removing the, that the the complaint must be filed within 180 days. Uh, Ms. Radabaz here, if you would like to ask her that question. Thank you. Yep, we're removing that. So that was, as you recognized previously in the ordinance, and is consistent with what the EEOC practices. It's either 180 days or 300 days. It's kind of just an arbitrary number. And so um, what we've seen over time is you know, people don't always feel comfortable coming forward within that period of time. It may be a trauma they suffered that they don't feel comfortable about until they come forward later. So we're um, through work through the HRC, they've made the recommendation that we remove the 180 days. And there's no legal problem with that. If we were to prosecute someone under the ordinance, there would still be a two-year statute of limitations, but removing the 180 days is fine and allows more people to bring their complaints forward when they feel ready. Um, thank you. And again, just for the, for the public, um, where would somebody report um, these acts? Uh, to the Human Rights Commission. So they have either you can submit it in writing, they take it by telephone, they take it by person, anyway. Thank, thank you. Yeah, thanks. And uh, thanks for being here to answer questions. That was one of the questions I had about this can, uh, the uh, potential conflict between the legal statute limitations and our reporting. Um, uh, you know, no limit on our reporting. And, you know, that's fine as long as people are informed, hey, this happened a couple of years ago, there might not be any kind of thing we can do other than whatever we are allowed to do outside of that, that process. Um, so when someone's supposed to report to the Human Rights Commission or I would guess any other board and commission, how is it that that happens when board and commission members, I mean, the, the council representatives on board and commissions have publicly facing contact information, but a board itself doesn't. So planning commission doesn't have planning commission emails at a2gov.gov and so on. Human Rights Commission, they don't have their private emails. So how, how would we expect to receive, say, an email or a phone call or even an in-person thing? Would it go to the council rep on Human Rights Commission? Or, or I'm sorry if I missed that last week. Oh, you're fine. The Ann Arbor Human Rights Commission does have their own city email address, so that's where the majority of the complaints, complaints come through. And similar to IPOC, they also have an online form that people submit that goes through SharePoint. Um, and a number of the commission members actually do have city email addresses for the Human Rights Commission. So how it works there is they have kind of a subgroup. I think there's maybe four of them on it right now, and they're the ones that manage the complaint. So it initially comes in through the intake process, whether that's the Human Rights Commission phone line, their email address, or the complaint form, and then it's turned over to the, uh, someone on the subgroup to investigate the complaint. 
So like, like Miss Jane's, as an example, would receive that? Okay. All right. That, yeah. That's what I thought. I was just checking. Thank you. Any other questions, Councilman Maloney? Thank you. Um, but folks are still able to call 911. They're still able to reach APD. It's not just only through the Human Rights Commission that these complaints be made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can come. I've even gotten some myself to my email address that you can direct to the Human Rights Commission. Absolutely. Thank you. Councilmember Song. Um, I was just wondering if there's an effort to uh, communicate this work with the Ann Arbor Public Schools. I know there are a number of parent advocacy, advocacy groups who are working pretty actively in trying to address some issues of you know, racism and discrimination within our public schools. So I'm just not sure, is, is this something where um, parents can register complaints to, or is it just, is it limited to those affected who are adults? No, anyone can file a complaint. I'm not exactly sure of the outreach efforts to the school. Um, Councilmember Nelson may actually know that better because she attends um, all the meetings. But um, I know that they have had a lot, the commission has had a lot of discussion lately on how to um, get the message out to the public about these protections and how to inform them about their rights and how they can file complaints. But anyone can file a complaint, so it can be a parent, um, someone who witnesses something, the actual complainant. Great, thank you. Councilor Hainer. Thanks, one more thing since we're here. So under 9156 discriminatory effects, it says, no person shall adopt, enforce, or employ any policy or requirement. And I would assume that means the city itself also, right? I mean, the city as a person? Okay. So barring the existence of a, like an ethics ombudsperson, like the model ethics ordinance promotes, how would, this, how would a complaint against the city be handled internally? Would that also be handled by the Human Rights Commission? So that's spelled out in a different section in the ordinance um, for complaints against city employees. They have to exhaust the city processes first. So whether that's through a collective bargaining process, a grievance procedure, or an HR policy, once that process is exhausted, then they can file a complaint with the human rights. And that does happen on occasion. So like somebody makes a claim that a community standards officer did something offensive or I mean I'm sorry to community standards but just to pick someone from the city that's front-facing you know then how would they know where to make that complaint they'd call the police they'd call community standards they I mean you're going to redirect them or Miss Janes or someone will redirect them if that complaints come to HRC a it city does complaint. it comes directly to me and then I'll send it through the proper process whether that's a labor process an HR process or a combination oh, okay thank you Thank you, Councilman Nelson. I just I just want to speak to something that Mar um, Ms. Radabaugh mentioned, which is that we have been having significant discussion at HRC about outreach and how to make the community aware of opportunities to bring grievances to the HRC. So I I will definitely at our next meeting bring up the concept of um, the schools because I I don't recall a specific conversation around that, but we are having I know that. Um, public outreach posters and things have been updated recently to um, direct to specific groups in the community and just just have it kind of everywhere. This has been an ongoing topic. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes, Councilor Song. That's really encouraging. Um, I, uh, I, I would hope that perhaps we could also consider um, having the outreach in different languages too. 
just so that folks feel uh, comfortable and that the information is more accessible in our community. Thanks. Okay, any other questions or comments from council? Okay, thank you, Attorney Roundabout, and thank you for um, your excellent work serving the Human Rights Commission and to all those commissioners who took so much time um, to bring this forward. I know the conversation about the 180 days happened um, even a couple of years ago when I was on the commission, so um, I'm glad to see this come forward. Okay, um, that's weird feedback. Okay, uh, all in favor? I opposed? Motion carries. Um, we have no first reading ordinances, um, and now we move to Unfinished Business Council, DC1. Resolution to approve industrial facilities exemption certificate between the City of Ann Arbor and Sartorius Bioanalytical Instruments. May I have a motion to approve? Councilmember Jish, seconded by Councilmember Griswold. We are getting some odd feedback in the room here. I thought it was me, but I'm glad it's not. Before we take a full recess, let's just take a beat to see if we can address that. We'll wait for Councilman Nelson to come back to the table, I think. Okay, I think that, thank you. That problem is solved. <laughs> All right. Um, are there council members that wish to speak on DC one? Councilmember Desch. I think we've we've spoken a lot about this development and um, I I wanted to underscore the the really positive features of it. And so uh, the site was environmentally contaminated and so it will receive uh, brownfield uh, TIF money and that will create a 1.1 plus million contribution by Sortorius to the Ann Arbor Affordable Housing Fund. That's a positive feature. Um, we've already heard uh, both from proponents of the project and even those who have reservations about it that it's bringing a really great industry to Ann Arbor and lots of jobs. Um, the specific sustainability features of the project are that it will be constructed to lead gold, new construction, which is the highest possible standard that could be met for a facility of this type and location. Um, the petitioner came in uh, proposing a 150 kilowatt solar array, but has increased that to 200 kilowatts. Um, it is, that does max out their roof capacity for solar, so that's something to be acknowledged. Um, they are installing a complete EV charging system, so electric vehicle, I should say. And the design is being completed far uh, above and beyond the city's current energy code. Worth noting, although it's not above and beyond any requirements, is that I mean, it is a requirement and they are complying with it, but another sustainability feature of this project is that a complete stormwater management system 
is being developed at the site. None existed there before, as is the case in many parts of Ann Arbor, and that has created neighborhood, neighborhood wide flooding issues. And of course, flooding is as significant a part of our climate catastrophe as energy. Uh, and then finally, just a neat feature of the site uh, is that the petitioner will, uh, will have on-site amenities like food trucks, uh, really nice outside spaces to, um, to create a campus atmosphere so that the employees do not have to drive to get their lunch or, you know, drive to a park, although they could. We wouldn't mind. Ann Arbor's good for that. Uh, in any case, there are terrific features of this project. Um, Mr. Garber is, has really contributed productively to the discussion around it, around the energy features that we wish it could have. But we spoke for many hours at Planning Commission about this project and reached the conclusion that they are doing what is technically feasible in this climate at that site, given its geography and given our weather. So I welcome this project and think we should grant the tax deferment. Thank you. Anyone else like to speak? I have Councilmember Hainer. Ramalawi, Councilmember Hainer. Yeah, thank you. Um, so just for the public knowledge, um, that Sartorius is requesting abatement of $54.587 million in real property improvements. So essentially we're, for a period of time, we're, we're waiving the consideration that they made those improvements and not charging them property taxes. And I, I guess the only reason I want to comment on this is because we often, and especially when this budget time comes around, we receive kind of pleas from homeowners where they say, is there any way you can give us some kind of property tax relief? Hey, I'm a veteran. I served our, I served our country. I served our community. This kind of thing. Can I have some property tax relief? I'm a senior. I'm on a fixed income. Can I have some property tax relief? And, you know, I'm, I'm below a certain level. Uh, we have a poverty assessment that we do, but it includes the value of your house. And so most people are excluded from that impoverished state. And we've done what we can to expand that under the current laws. But, um, you know, when we, when we tell the individual homeowner, no, there's nothing we can do to help you out, and then we tell a corporation, yes, there's something we can do to the tune of $54 million in an, to help you out, it just doesn't sit well. I'm going to say yes to this, just like I would say yes if we could do something to people for folks who are house poor living here in Ann Arbor. And I think that we should consider looking at that. And if, if the state laws don't allow it, but they allow this, then that's a problem with the state laws. And we should be urging the state to change their laws to allow property tax exemptions or adjustments for those in need. Thank you. Councilmember Mlaoui. Uh, thank you. I share some of the same concerns my colleague just expressed. I'm not really big on giving tax breaks to those who can afford to do with otherwise. I understand though that's not how this is being brought forward. Um, there is public benefit that will be given in exchange for that. Um, I do recognize that. I, I do like the way our Brownfield um, system is set up, whereas there's gonna be over a million dollars heading into the affordable a housing fund, if not, if it was not for that 1.1 million going into the affordable housing fund, 
I would not support this here tonight. Um, it's great to welcome more jobs, high paying jobs into our area. Um, but those jobs are gonna compete with folks who often make less. Uh, they're gonna be competing for housing. And I know it's a delicate balance. It's not a mutually exclusive, but it's a concern of mine when we um, have the crisis that we have with the affordability here in this community. And those on the lower end of the wage scale are priced out. And they, uh, housing is a universal human right. And we shouldn't be relegated or delegated to just other parts of the county uh, in order to have housing. We should have a integrated uh, community. I do appreciate the efforts that have been made um, to achieve um, our goals in A20. Um, we've come close, but we have gotten there all the way. And I don't know how we're gonna fix that going forward, but I know a good faith effort has been made in doing so, and I appreciate the efforts of Mr. Garber to educate us and push us in upholding the pledges that we've made to our community and the policies that we've adopted. I'll be supporting this tonight for many different reasons, some of them that I just stated, and uh, look forward um, to new neighbors and, and new residents and new businesses coming into our community only to make it stronger and better as we go forward. Thank you. Councilmember Desch. Yeah, I just want to clarify one point because I may not have been clear when I spoke, and that is that what we are offering here is a, um, uh, we are not offering tax relief from property taxes. That is not what this kind of tax abatement does. It merely defers taxing capital improvements to a site for a period of up to 12 years. During that 12-year period, we, were, we will continue to get as the same amount in property taxes as we would have already. And when those 12 years are up, we will have a, uh, the city will receive considerably higher revenues that reflect the full value of the redevelopment. So we are not losing anything. We are waiting a little while before we recoup in uh, property, in taxes, the capital improvements on the project. Councilmember Griswold. I want to acknowledge and thank the contribution of Ken Garber. Uh, I carefully read his email twice. I've uh, talked to him about this. Uh, it's, it's very troubling, but at the same time, we approved a transit corridor in that same area without requirements. In fact, the development has less requirements than what's being proposed for this project. So I will be supporting it, but I hope that we will continue to work together to try to become more energy efficient in the future. So thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to speak? Councilmember Sun. At our last meeting, I noted that uh, with TC1 approval, the hope was that Perhaps uh, Sartorius employees uh, of all pace across the pay scale, I'm assuming, 
would be able to afford to live in Ann Arbor and work near Ann Arbor and reduce the number of daily commuters we have to the city, which is pre-pandemic was 80,000 a day. Um, 300 out of the 80,000 is still something. So I appreciate um, this investment in our community and hopefully we, uh, we can welcome these uh, long-term neighbors. Thanks. Anyone else? Um, I'd like to also just, you know, welcome Sartorius to Ann Arbor. I, from the feedback I've received from staff over some conversations is that um, they've really been excellent partners and negotiated in good faith and been willing to move. And I've also sat through um, Brownfield Committee and I'm always excited for opportunities to clean up um, abandoned contaminated sites and turn them into places uh, where we can welcome um, new employees. And I'm also incredibly excited about um, the potential for synergy given the proximity of the new TC1 district. So um, I look forward to enthusiastically passing this and thanks staff for all the really significant work that happened across the board um, of the organization. Okay, it looks like we need a roll call vote starting with Councilmember Dish. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song? Yes. Councilmember Grand? Yes. Councilmember Dina? Absent. Mayor Taylor? Absent. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Absent. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? Yes. Motion carries. Thank you. Uh, DC2, resolution for the city of Ann Arbor to sponsor information on the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, NACA mortgages to city employees and residents. Can I have a motion moved by Councilmember Griswold, seconded by Councilmember Dish? Discussion of DC2. Councilmember Griswold. I would like to move that we substitute uh, resolution version two for the, uh, the main resolution. And that is out on Legistar and has been in the packet. And the main purpose of that was just to make the language more general and not specific to uh, an individual organization. Do I have a second for that? Second by Councilmember Maui. Discussion of the substitute amendment. Councilmember Maui. Thank you. Um, I would just like to talk, um, thank um, Brian Chambers and others who, um, John Mursky, who helped bring this to the table. We had to postpone it um, from our earlier meetings to um, address some issues of, of uh, the exclusivity of the wording in this resolution. This new wording has it uh, where it's a little bit more open and um, doesn't just describe one organization in helping lead the fight in the missing middle. Um, I think this body has done um, a, a good job in the last several years, um, especially in between 2018 and 2020 in addressing affordable housing where we passed an affordable housing millage where we identified 11 city-owned properties for development. Uh, we've also worked 
um, in relaxing our zoning laws and zoning regulations to allow uh, other types of housing to be built. And that one, that is usually uh, homes that are on the higher end of the spectrum. So we've worked in ways to uh, address um, the extremes of the, of the housing spectrums, but I think we've ignored the middle. Uh, folks that um, don't qualify for either of those, either high-end homes or um, assisted by programs. And that unfortunately has only been exasperated by the pandemic. And so it, this was um, relatively easy to get behind and support based on uh, those facts. Um, home ownership is key to intergenerational wealth. Um, we can look to see what happened to folks of color and the opportunities that they have been denied in um, creating wealth because of the lending laws and regulations and red lines and so on and so forth, deed restrictions. They've been kept out of um, becoming and enjoying the prosperity that many people have otherwise have. So again, um, this is an area I think as we go forward needs to be looked at more and we need to be more aggressive in finding ways and solutions into getting people who are in the working classes back into home ownership and back into um, enjoying the prosperity that many others in this country have um, at the expense of others. Thank you. Um, I also want to acknowledge that Ian Robinson spoke in uh, favor of this resolution at the last council meeting. And also there is a full page article in the May Ann Arbor Observer about this resolution as well as a resolution that will be coming before council very soon, which is the short title is the U of M Workforce Housing Resolution, which again addresses some of that missing middle. So again, thank you to the Ann Arbor Observer. Thank you to Brian Chambers, who's still with us this evening. Uh, this resolution had significant support and I'm, I'm really pleased. Thank you. Anyone else like to speak on this resolution? Councilor Hanna. Yeah, thank you. I think it's good to bring attention to these kinds of things. I'm not sure how much impact this is gonna have in our community, but I hope it does help because as others have pointed out, we're, we're really chipping away against the percentage of housing that is remaining available and affordable, um, you know, beyond our, our social housing efforts. Um, it, it's um, used to be that being pre-qualified was enough to get you you know, in line for a, for a mortgage to buy a house. And now you're fighting with real estate investment trusts and cash buyers and things like that. And, and I'm not sure even pre-qualification is, is any good anymore. And so, uh, but perhaps being pre-qualified with a kind of a no down payment type loan where you're guaranteed that it's not gonna walk away will help some people get in line for whatever somewhat affordable housing is left. You know, it's been bouncing around on, I've seen some, it floated on social media um, and, and in the paper generally that, as part of a model ethics 
that um, uh, elected officials would disclose their financial doings, their their you know their incomes, as an example. And I'm not a big fan of that. I don't think it's really necessary. Um, but I will say, if you look at the area median income for a family of four at 106 some thousand here in the Ann Arbor metro area, um, you know, I'd be happy to tell you where I plug into that equation, and it's it's below. And there's been times in the last decade here where we have been, my family of four has been, um, you know, qualified for 60% AMI housing. Of course, I would never take it because I know there's so many people who don't have the ability to work and, and, and kind of fend for themselves that those, the need is so great in our community. Um, but it's, it's always an eye opener to see what is considered a median here in our community. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's, it's tough to see that. And so anything we can do to, to, to let people know that there are options that they can get into homes. And, um, I mean, I think we could be doing a lot more. I'd like to see us have, Co you know, support cooperative efforts and buyers cooperatives and land holding cooperatives and so on. But I mean, that's another another policy for another day. But I, obviously, I'm going to support this. Councilmember Song, do we have Jennifer um, Jennifer Hall who could answer some questions related to this? Is Ms. Hall available? I didn't see her on the list. Um, oh, and, and Councilor Song, I'm sorry, before you start, I just, um, Ms. Boudry reminded me, I'm assuming that this is friendly to the body, but I just wanted to clarify that with the group as a substitute resolution. Okay, great. Sorry, Councilmember Song. So, uh, I'm glad that there's a substitute resolution. I am, I was very wary of the private entity that was referenced before, um, this, that organization had presented to Baltimore City Council and, uh, the way the way that organizing was presented there seemed really, really problematic. Um, I th you know, I had a long conversation with our housing director, Jennifer Hall, around this. I asked questions about uh, the missing middle. I asked uh, the difference between home ownership and housing, and why was it that our housing advocates were not rallying behind this or advocating for home ownership? Um, and we had. A really interesting discussion. I, I I don't know if other council members and the sponsors had had the same discussion with, with her. Um, so you know I I I'm reluctant to support this, if only because uh, you know if there we have Habitat Humanity also offers low uh, similar mortgages. We have this effort already in community, but because of market conditions, it's. It's difficult to have to out offer to out to compete against offers that are coming in in our city with cash and over asking. Uh, talking to realtors, there's very little under 300k now in the market. So uh, for me, my worry is more in supply. Uh, unless we all here are willing to sell our homes for them, <laughs> what we bought for, as as well as other residents, uh, in combination with zoning um, changes. I'm 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 worried about uh, promoting home ownership when we are really struggling with uh, supply and housing, just providing basic housing. Um, the missing middle is not missing; they're they're in the townships, uh, and I'm not quite sure where the city's role is in is in promoting this when it's 
I'm not sure if folks just are held back from home ownership from not having access to information on what mortgages are available when throughout the pandemic, uh, low, very low interest mortgages have been uh, promoted. So um, I'm, I'm reluctant to support this. I think there's a greater discussion on housing that we need to concentrate on uh, versus home ownership. Um, you know, I know it's not talked about much here lately, but prior conversations, we always described uh, the housing crisis as there's no silver bullet. There's no one answer. It's all hands on deck. We need as much, as many resources as we can and tools to alleviate the pressures. Um, I'm somewhat shocked that this resolution that calls just to disseminate information and educate and communicate <coughs> with uh, no budget impact that I, that I can tell of would, would leave someone reluctant. We, I think we need to do as much as we possibly can on all levels for this issue. And it's not picking and choosing the most effective way. You know, I agree, you know, there is a supply problem. <clears throat> I mean, but what are we gonna do? Tell people who have multiple homes, give them up? I mean, there's people who own three, four, two, three, four, five homes. You know, they, they spend six weeks a year in, you know, so it's the access to capital. <laughs> Who's got it, who doesn't? Banking laws, lending laws. It's more than just the physical structure. It's who's got the capital, who's got access to it. And there's people sitting on three and four homes. They might, they might spend two weeks a year in. I'm not one of them. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Griswold. Oh, actually, Councilmember, you've spoken twice already. Councilmember Song. So um, I don't know. If, uh, I am not that person. <laughs> uh, I will. I will say. Um, I have looked at, you know, how our community can really be improved with, you know, greater access to financing. You know, there's organizations like CDFIs. Jennifer Hall here's me asking about any way that we can find a CDFI and bringing that to Michigan uh, at nauseum. Um, I might as well just wear a shirt that says CDFI here, please. Um, I am very, very interested in understanding how we can provide capital to folks who are exploring the need to home ownership, but also housing, renting. Uh, homeowners, renters are still people. Uh, uh, so uh, <laughs> I'm just asking for a greater discussion. And also, you know, if, so we put this on the website for free. Do we put other information too? Will we put the habitat? To, I mean, this information already exists in community. Um, I, I would like to see what the barriers are, barriers to entry for housing, not just for home ownership uh, alongside that. So should that happen, then hopefully we can have a more uh, comprehensive solution that will be provided to our, our residents and not just home ownership. Thank you. Um, if no one else has uh, may I have twice, Councilman. May I have, I have permission I to thank yet, so, um, staff? 
um, and address a question from Council Member Song? Um, I would actually, I haven't spoken at all yet, and I have a question for staff that I would like to ask them first, and then with the acquiescence of um, Council, we can ask for a vote if you would like to do that. Um, I, I have some reservations about this, having, having served as liaison to the City's Housing Commission for a long time and, and understanding um, reluctance from Ms. Hall about why this hasn't been a strategy for us as a city um, because of the difficulty um, and the barriers that she's found for, for low and moderate income people to um, maintain housing that is bought because, because owning a house is very expensive and there are a lot of unknown um, unforeseen costs. But I'd like to ask staff too because I do um, share Councilmember Song's concern about um, having this on the city site um, if something does fall through, will we be blamed as a city? But um, if maybe Mr. Tony or someone from the city attorney's office could speak to um, just some of the concerns that staff may have about this policy. I will say that from the beginning of where the uh, conversation started to now, uh, the resolution that's before you has been improved. Uh, staff had raised concerns about uh, earlier versions that seemed to uh, embrace the city taking an exclusivity role in singling out a particular provider, which we thought was problematic. Um, there was also uh, concerns that we raised about um, being aligned with any any vendor to the degree that if a transaction went south and the city was seen as almost encouraging them um, the fallout would come our way um, there was also uh, initial language that had the uh, city administrator playing a very active role in partnering with the vendor. And uh, under the uh, rules of ethics for international city managers, uh, that's not permissible. And so as those issues were raised, there was modifications made to what is before you. Uh, I can't say that you know, everything is, is addressed, but as the point that uh, was made by Councilmember Griswold that we're encouraging all of the products within the marketplace and, you know, there's no issue with, with that uh, from our perspective. Uh, however, the placement of a single vendor on the website or anything like that would make it very difficult to justify down the road if you told someone else no. That, that's the issue, another issue that we raised. Thank you. Councilman Griswold. Uh, thank you. Yes, I was negligent in not uh, acknowledging all the work that was done by Mr. Dahoney, by the legal staff, by Jennifer Hall, and I'm told that Jennifer Hall is going to be sending us some more information about this. Um, I don't know who 
who worked with Jennifer Hall on this, but I know that a number of staff members did meet and that the resolution is much improved from what was originally uh, proposed. And so again, thank you to staff. I'm sorry, I'd like to ask about, did any of the, did any of the sponsors of this resolution work directly with Ms. Hall? Councilor Rajesh? I spoke with her about it. Um, I, I, um, I agree with Councilman Malawi that we that this is a complicated problem that requires a lot of solutions, um, and I I really do appreciate the the enthusiasm and and work that's gone into this. But um, there's a reason as a as a city why we haven't taken these actions so far because it's not really in line with um, with our existing policies about what we what we think about affordability and and how to best um, approach home ownership I, I think there are people in the community that do this much better than the city um, and I I still have concerns after speaking with some folks in the attorney's office about um, about what it means for us to be promoting um, this type of approach to housing is there anyone else that would like to Okay, could we have a roll call vote starting with Councilmember Dish, please? Councilmember Dish? Yes. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song? No. Councilmember Grand? No. Councilmember Adina? Absent. Mayor Taylor? Absent. Councilmember Iyer? Uh, yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs, absent. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? Yes. The motion carries. Thank you. Um, is the body in need of a break or can we push through the last couple? Push through. Okay. DC3, resolution in support of Michigan House Bill 5931. Moved by Councilmember Nelson, seconded by Councilmember Hayner. Councilmember Nelson. Thank you. This is the second time uh, that a resolution on this topic has been on our agenda. Um, I, I need to express thanks to our state representative, Yusuf Rabi, for the time that he took in visiting the Commission on Disabilities Issues and presenting um, a really excellent report and summary on what's happening at the state level. Um, in the first version of this resolution that I meant to look up when it was first on our agenda, um, we we were alerted to the fact that it was somewhat incomplete and didn't didn't um it was a little bit too early because representative robbie was working on a specific measure that we could endorse um so i think i mean it's in legistar the explanation that um reforms that were made in 2019 have really made it extremely difficult for people in need of long-term post-acute injury care um to get to get that care and so um I'd like, again, I want to thank State Representative Yusuf Rabi for taking the time to speak to the Commission on Disabilities Issues and educating us about his efforts in Lansing to help fix this problem. Thanks. Any other discussion? All those in favor? 
Opposed? Motion carries. Uh, DC4 has been removed from our agenda. That takes us all the way. You should have clerk's report, yes? I apologize. Don't we need to approve the clerk's report at some point? Which I don't see on yes, our... Yes, we do. Um, okay, could I have a motion to approve the clerk's report? Councilmember Hayner, seconded by Councilmember Dish. Any discussion? Yes, Councilmember Hayner. Thanks, I know it's unusual, but I just wanted to point out, f folks ask us a lot of times, so where can I see this, where can I see that? And a lot of times these things are in the clerk's report, right? And so, uh, I'll, I'll just bring the folks up uh, in the Arrowwood area to the attention of E3, which outlines the 65.4 combined acres that are gonna be coming to this body for a rezoning request and potential development. And it's all in the attachments to E3, it's quite quite clear what's what up there. So I just wanna point that out to folks in the neighborhood who've been asking about that. There's Often there are many interesting things in the clerk's report. Thank you. Any further discussion? All those in favor? I opposed. Clerk's report is approved. Um, do we have any closed session or communications from our city attorney? No, we don't. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, we now come to our final public comment general time. Public comment general time is an opportunity for members of the public and community to speak to the council. Um, about whatever they wish to do so. If you would like to speak at public comment general time and you are at home, please feel free to call the number on your screen and enter meeting ID 9421273-2148. Um, members of the public will have three minutes in which to speak and if you need any assistance, we will be pleased to help you. Is there anyone in chambers who would like to participate in public comment? Please come forward. To uh, invite any council member who uh, may not be able to sit through my words to just go ahead and use the green room uh, now, um, I may be criticizing any one of you, uh, no spoilers. Um, Councilmember Ramlawi, I am glad that you are healthy and you recovered well. Um, I had COVID myself after Christmas, after spending time with my family, and um, I don't wish uh, anyone to to suffer from that. Um, I. The the previous the couple meetings ago, um, some comments that you made about the ARPA money was that um, we would were like robbing future generations because the national deficit is really high. Um, I later found out that you had no problem taking almost a quarter of a million dollars. Um, for your business, which was forgiven, so you didn't have to pay it back. Um, I'm happy that you were able to pay your employees with that money, um, but that money was given to you. Like, you're the employer, you still would have 
been responsible for plant paying your employees. So I don't see how you can um, drag money given to our community for COVID uh, relief, how it's impacted the entire community and uh, you're able to take that money without blinking an eye. So um, that's all I want to say about that. But I want to thank uh, candidate Aisha Ghazi Edwin for um, putting out a public statement um, for May Day. Um, if anyone up here or any other candidates put anything out uh, for that purpose, I'm sorry I missed it. Um, I would also like to recognize that President Biden met with labor leaders here. There's somebody at the, the Hannah, her name is Hannah, at the Main Street Starbucks that was fired from her job for unionizing. So I don't know if they would appreciate government leaders reaching out to them as well, but there are people right here in our community with these issues. The next thing I was going to talk about looks like I have no town, uh, time, but I'm facing a potential discrimination lawsuit with my landlord that the law that Ann Arbor has may not be able to protect me for and you may not be able to enforce it. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any callers on the line? If you're calling in, please press star nine if you wish to speak. You'll be identified by the clerk by the last three digits of your phone number. Adam Goodman, do you have a comment? Uh, hi again. Um, I wanted to thank uh, all of you on council for your advocacy in the form of, uh, I think it was DC3, um, for fixing or at least attempting to mitigate the consequences of the disastrous uh, no-fault no insurance quote reform that was passed in 2019. Um, I'm actually going to read some of your whereas clauses because I think this is really important. Whereas reimbursement for post-acute rehabilitation care, in-home health care, transportation, and other crucial services that do not have Medicare billing codes were capped at 55% of what providers were charging for those services on January 1st, 2019. Whereas as a result, more than 18,000 Michigan residents with severe brain, spinal cord, and other catastrophic injuries, including many thousands in Washtenaw County, have found it impossible to obtain all necessary care that they need for basic survival. People have already died because of, because of this uh, reform, and, and more will. And, and even those who, who have, have not suffered that fate are, are seeing their, their quality of life reduced to, you know, com a completely terrible situation. Um, I, I believe this should be considered one of the, the biggest scandals of the last several years in the state of Michigan. Um, there is currently a short run podcast on Michigan radio called Collision Course that I would encourage everyone listening to this to, to go seek out and listen to. Uh, it, it's giving great coverage to this issue. And finally, as, as a result of these, this policy change, you know, many of those of us in Michigan who own cars are, are currently receiving $400 checks from the state. 
I, I consider that check that I got this week to be blood money, and I have no intention of keeping it. I will be donating it to an organization that is fighting for the victims of this disastrous uh, reform. And, you know, for, for those of you that can afford to part with the money, I would encourage you to do the same. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Potom, I don't see any other callers with their hands up at this time. Okay. Um, seeing no one else, public comment is closed. Are there communications from council? Councilmember Griswold. I want to thank everyone who's been using the A2 Fix It application. Please continue to use it if you are reporting a dangerous situation, such as a manhole cover that's flipping out of its frame. Uh, put it in A2 Fix It, but also call the city and make sure you talk to a human because A2 Fix It is not necessarily, uh, while it's acknowledged immediately, it's not necessarily uh, worked on that day. So if it is a dangerous situation, document it in A2 Fix It, and then contact someone at the city or your council member. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to speak? Councilmember Hainer. Yeah, thanks. So we had some public hearings tonight that weren't attended at all, and yeah, that happens a lot. Um, folks aren't really sure what's going on until they try and interact with the city in some way and they sometimes they find a negative interaction like this letter we got from Mr. Ewing about the requirements that everything be done online and one of the public hearings was about a change that we're going to be making next week to fees and in, in the uh, building and services administration area and um, you know we have a new system in place to replace this e-track and it's a it, and, and you're going to be using the system for any kind of change you, you have to make to a property um, a lot of, lot of um, rental managers will have to do it to schedule schedule their inspections and and uh, trades to come in and make changes and so on and we're going to charge people 125 bucks if they want to turn in a paper copy and so the idea of having it, it it's somewhat like asking the resident to do our work for us and if they don't want to do our work for us by they or they're unable to do our work for us by not being computer savvy as an example then we're going to charge them 125 bucks when they could surely pick up a pen and fill out an application and hand it at the desk but we're going to stop accepting those kinds of things and i doubt that there will be a commensurate reduction in staff for the reduced workload that staff has by making everyone fill in things electronically for us and so that was one of the things i've it's unfortunate there was no one to, to comment on that because I think I think Mr. Ewing preempted that with this letter that he put in our mailboxes here of April 14th. So I just want to point that out when it comes up to the budget. There's a lot of things in there. There's fees going up, and, and not only do they go up, but they go up in some ways, and they are added in other unexpected ways. So I encourage folks to really dig through this budget. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to speak? Councilmember Malawi. Thank you. Um, I, I do appreciate those last comments. There, there are a lot of people who are being left behind, uh, as you just described. And if you don't have the means um, or the know-how, you, you, you might just be one yourself. Um, so I, I don't know if that helps everybody in the end. Um, I will say there's just been some things, comments made at the table here tonight, which I just want to somewhat clarify if I could or ask questions thereof 
Um, you know, running as a council member, you're in just a ward, which is one fifth of the city. Something like Prop A is a citywide initiative. And so for something like Prop A to get a lot more votes than a council member um, is not surprising. Um, if it got more votes than if you were to run for mayor, then that's something different. So just knowing the difference there I think is important. Um, also, there was an initiative made about these new liquor licenses that came out. Um, I'm not sure the committee and, and staff came up with a, a plan on how to award those eight liquor licenses and to really gear it towards OSI and sustainability of, uh, efforts. I do think we missed an opportunity there um, to give them to black-owned businesses. I think uh, the liquor licenses um, um, it could have been used as an opportunity um, to help uh, with past um, injustices and, and not just sustainability features. So I, I would have liked to see those go to uh, minorities. I know the, the ship has sailed on that one. But as we go forward, maybe looking at ways where we can even out some of the in, imbalances and uh, mistreatments of, of yesterday. Also, when it comes to Council DC2, uh, um, I'll speak member. to DC2 later. Would anyone else like to speak? Councilmember Song. I'm on the county's community action board, and uh, that's the entity for the county that works on poverty poverty alleviation solutions. Um, the, I had mentioned, Sarah, the COVID emergency rental assistance application portal earlier in the meeting, but I just want to give the date. It's closing in June, so it's closing next month. There hasn't been an exact date that's been decided, but there's still limited funding available through September 2022, but the application portal itself closes next month. So for folks who uh, you qualify, if you've experienced financial hardship during the pandemic, you've had rental arrears, back rent or payments owed from March 13th, 2020 to March 30th, 2022, um, and you meet income thresholds for your household size. But the county has been encouraging folks to apply for this, even if you aren't sure if you, you qualify, if only, only because there are ways to navigate this um, that you might not be aware of, and there are folks to help you with that. Um, I am also involved with a reproductive freedom for all effort here. I think this week has been very difficult for women uh, around the country and uh, understanding what our options are collectively to, for our health uh, and our lives. So um, I've been invited to co-chair this effort for the state. Uh, I invite folks to go to MI reprofreedom.org for more information as folks around the state collect uh, signatures for petitions so that the, a ballot initiative can appear on our state to amend our state constitution. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, just to answer Councilman Lowry's question, um, the ship has not sailed on the liquor licenses. Liquor Commission is meeting tomorrow at 9 a.m. Um, and we'll be just helping to work through the 10 applications for the eight licenses. Um, through it, I think, through the professionalism of our of our clerk's office, is is a really holistic process that um, reflects a lot of the values that we hold. 
as a city. So um, I look forward to um, helping out a number of local businesses through that process. Um, anyone else? All right, could I have a motion to adjourn, please? Moved by Councilmember Iyer, second by Councilmember Malawi. Discussion? All in favor? Aye, we stand adjourned. Thank you, everyone.